Radio. Alright, so I know a lot of you are looking at this episode like, this dude really just released a 20-minute episode when he was supposed to release part 3 of The Death of John Dillinger. And I was also going to put this interview in part 3 with uh, a lot of other stuff. But this interview is so informative that I felt it needs to stand on its own. Because I was lucky enough to have Stephen Rossmore on the podcast. A huge thank you to Brian and Ada for making this happen. I couldn't have done it without you guys. But Stephen is a retired doctor, and he took a look at the autopsy, and he looked into John Dillinger and some of the conspiracy aspects of it, and he gives a great interview and a great opinion, and this is something I feel needed to stand on its own because of the information that is provided. And like I say, I always try to stay objective. I'm trying to explore all angles of this conspiracy because... I'm an Indiana boy. I want John Dillinger to have lived forever. You know what I mean? And gotten away and it would have been perfect. But at the same time, I'm also a realist. I wanted to explore this. And Steven, I know you're listening. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast on such short notice and just hanging out and talking about this with me. Uh, Your information is invaluable. And again, thank you so much. And for you listeners, uh, I will give a shout out to new Patreon subscribers on the next episode, which is coming out here in uh, like a day, I think, because I still have to do a lot of editing and stuff like that. So I hope you guys enjoy. Like I said, listen very closely. This is a very informative interview, and it is crucial to the John Dillinger autopsy narrative that people push to prove that this is not John Dillinger or that it just might be John Dillinger that died in 1934. So I hope you enjoy and I will catch you on the next episode. Yeah, my name is Stephen Rossmore. I'm a retired emergency medicine doctor. In my career in emergency medicine, I've seen a lot of trauma, a lot of cases, and I've been involved in a lot of different aspects of medicine. So I, I agreed to take up this case to see if I could help you out. So maybe complicated in terms of what you're trying to prove or disprove, but in terms of medically, I don't think complicated. From you looking at the autopsy. Is there anything that stood out to you about the uh, the medical aspect of the heart part of the autopsy? Well, a lot of it stood out to me. As a matter of fact, when, when Ada sent me the autopsy and I read it, the way that the gross anatomy autopsies were done 100 years ago, basically, when this was just about done, is the same as they're done now. So as far as gross anatomy, there's, there's very little difference. You know, in the fine anatomy in terms of microscopy and electron microscopes and testing for substances, that's gotten, you know, much more advanced. But just dissecting a corpse for gross anatomical inspection, pretty much the same as it always has been. So that, that being said, when I read the autopsy report, clearly there was some type of heart disease. And it was clear to me that it was rheumatic heart disease. Because what else could it be? 
And so I did a little reading about rheumatic heart disease to freshen up my mind. When I was training, when we learned how to listen for murmurs in patients and learned how to examine the heart, it was always very helpful to get somebody who had rheumatic heart disease because we could hear a lot of abnormal sounds that you really don't hear any longer. And they're pretty characteristic for people who have rheumatic heart disease. Rheumatic heart disease is caused by secondary inflammation from someone who's had strep throat. And they start with strep throat, and then that turns from strep throat, they get um, rheumatic heart disease afterwards if there's a, a, a reaction with the inside of the heart. Not everybody gets it. It takes a while to develop, but it's, it's very common back in the old days. So back in the old days, it was, and currently now, it was a disease of poverty for people to have rheumatic heart disease. And it's a secondary, like I said, secondary to an infection often that a child would, would get, either somewhere between the ages of 5 to 15. And it takes about up to 10 years before there are anatomical changes in the heart that would be consistent with rheumatic heart disease, but it can be a few months. So it can be a few months up to 10 years. And likewise, the disability from it, even though it sounds awful when you read the autopsy report, it, there's no suggestion of what cardiac disability that he may have had in his lifetime. And what I'm guessing is that he didn't have any or close to any, because right now, the way it is with people with rheumatic heart disease, if it's the most severe form, they all go on to surgery. Well, they weren't doing surgery back then. People died and they prevented with antibiotics nowadays. So there's very few people getting it. So it's very common to get it especially people who are living in close quarters communities. And if he had rheumatic heart disease that produced symptoms of heart failure, which would have been like shortness of breath or exertion leading to weakness or even passing out, I doubt that he would have such a thing because he was pretty active in his fear of robbing banks. Now, the flip side is that you could be short of breath and sit in a car while someone ran the bank. And I don't know the details of the bank robberies, but if you just walk in there with a gun and someone fills up a bag with money, it's not like doing jogging around the block. I and mean, it's not it's not a, something that you need great cardiac strength for. Now, there was some question about his playing baseball. And I think if he did play baseball, it seems like it would have been before he could have developed significant heart problems anyway. So I don't think the, the fact that he played baseball would make one think that maybe this was not him because he was more active in his earlier years. Yeah, and that's that's a lot of the argument because I'm trying to stay unbiased, trying to, you know, stay objective about the whole situation, but the main people who push the narrative that it wasn't him use this heart condition in the autopsy report as their proof because Dillinger was 31 years old when he died. He had done nine and a half years in prison. He was only out of prison for about 18 months when he was killed. And he played semi-professional baseball. Even while he was in prison, he still had Major League Baseball teams going to Michigan City to, like, scout him. That's how good he was. He played shortstop. So another aspect that they use is the bank robberies because his nickname was Jackrabbit. Because when he would go into banks he would be pretty much vaulting himself up onto these teller gates and like over the teller gates to get into the into the vaults. He was 
just super, super active. And they use that autopsy report and the information about the heart because they're like, if he had this condition, there's absolutely no way that he could have played semi-pro baseball or been this active during bank robberies. And that the condition of the person who had the autopsy done on him, whether it was him or not, the condition was terminal. And that person was going to die like very, very quickly if they wouldn't have been shot, basically, is the narrative there. Well, I, I, I don't know if there's doctors that are making this assumption or people reading. <laughs> no. <laughs> the thing is that the medical report, what you read, there's no direct correlation between that and his cardiac function. So it could look very bad, but he could still manage to muster up enough cardiac function to do all the things that they say he couldn't do. And are any of these conditions is, I'm I'm not sure of, of all the, I'll be honest with you, man, a lot of big medical words in that autopsy report. I don't understand a lot of them. You know, I had to do a lot of reading to like comprehend what it was. <laughs> what your, you know, needs clarification about. Um, Just basically is, is anything in that heart, like, could he have been born with these conditions? There's describing structures in the heart that are there anyway, like for example, cord tendony, which is a normal part of the heart. So they're there anyway. The heart valves are there anyway. The inside of the heart, the endocardium and myocardium are there anyway. You know, so all those are just parts of the heart. Nowadays, people get echocardiograms, which he might have had if he was very sick, but they don't, didn't do them anyway back then. But the point is, I don't think he was that functionally sick. And when I looked up the, the d- degree of sickness for people who had rheumatic heart disease from rheumatic fever, there was a varying amount. So some people had it mild. So that 10 years, let's say that he was in prison, he could have had rheumatic fever when he was a kid, when he was 16. And he could have started to develop some heart um, anatomical changes that may or may not have caused functional changes. So it's hard to say because what I read, the changes can occur rapidly. Are they going to occur slowly? Are they going to occur slowly and then rapidly change? So there's there's no way to know what the growth inside of his heart was actually doing. My guess is if if that's really his heart, then he doesn't didn't develop any major functional disability. He's still going to have some disability. I mean, he played. The other thing, if he's a great shortstop, and let's say this this illness of his heart interfered with his shortstop greatness by ten percent. Maybe he was still better than the rest of the shortstops, even though he was temperate impaired. So you know you can't say that that he couldn't he couldn't have been one or the other because there's no there's no control who's who was doing autopsies on the hearts of all the baseball players. That's very true. You know, so you don't know how many of them had rheumatic heart disease and played baseball. There's no way to know that. You know, and there are other chronic illnesses like syphilitic heart disease, which he probably didn't have. I mean, there are a lot of chronic things because the the medicines just weren't invented. Even using treating heart failure nowadays, one of the commonest ways to treat it is with water pills or diuretics. And those weren't invented until the 1960s. So clearly there was no way he was being treated. Basically, people were treated with rest. And if he was bad enough to need he wouldn't be playing baseball. Or he wouldn't be very good at it. Or he wouldn't be very good at robbing the banks unless he had help. But I don't think is that that finding of his... The, what's described there, which I, I guess there was, I mean, I'm not an expert in rheumatic heart disease. I know more now than I did before Ada called me, but 
I guessed right away what it was. And then I did, I was sort of disappointed when I looked up things about him and said, oh, he had rheumatic heart disease. Well, gee, that, that takes the wind out of my sails. I guess that, for, and somebody already knew that. It was already well known. But what isn't known is what his functional disability was. And the other thing, if he's in prison for 10 years, what do prisoners do there? They sit there and they might, they might have, might have had a prison job. The medical care is usually pretty piss poor in a prison. And unless he was having trouble, nobody would, you know, write it down. I'm sure there was no records from when he was a kid either if he had rheumatic fever. So yeah. my guess is that he had rheumatic fever and progressive changes in his heart that didn't lead to major functional disabilities. And that being the case, I think, despite that somebody thought his eyes were a different color, which is not related to the heart autopsy findings. Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, that's hearsay. I mean, I, you know, you can look at people today, walk past somebody, what color is your wife's eyes or John's eyes? Nobody, you know, you, you don't even know. I mean, half the time. So I don't, I don't find put much stock in that. I mean, the only, there's nothing, the only other significant autopsy findings were all the bullet holes. Supposedly he had plastic surgery at some point in his life, you know, and I don't know if there was much in the autopsy that reflected those changes or not. I, I, I didn't see that, but. I didn't see him in the autopsy report either. I do know that he did have some work done, but according to some of his personal friends, he was actually mad at the plastic surgeon because he said he didn't look much different. All he got done was he got the cleft in his chin filled in and he got like a mole removed. But the big one was he had his fingerprints burned off with acid. And I think I saw something in the autopsy report about his fingers and the phalanges and stuff like that. But that's what the FBI used. Like the sole identification method was his fingerprints. And they said that there were 300 points of similarities. And a lot of people are like, well, that's impossible because he had them burned off with acid. When people do that, they don't really get burned. They get disfigured, but they don't get burned off. That makes more so, like, sense. You see someone burns on their face, their face isn't gone. They just get scars. So they get scars, the disfigurement of the fingertips. And so the, the classical patterns will be interrupted. Kind of like if you had a, a 33 LP record that was all scratched up and cracked. It, you know, it's, it ain't going to play the same, but the, the grooves are here and there still the same grooves. And probably he was identified from looking like we, we look like. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't found like in an alley somewhere a week later. You know, he was hunted down for who people thought he was. And somebody thought he was who they thought he was. And I think in the lady in red, uh, didn't she mourn, I mean, some way losing him? So Yeah, she uh, she set it up. There was a there was a middleman between the lady in red, uh, Anna Sage, and then Melvin Purvis of the FBI. There was a middleman who was actually a really, really crooked cop back in the day by the name of Martin Zarkovich. And he was basically the middleman between Anna Sage and... And Melvin Purvis and like the whole theory goes that they basically found a guy and they're saying that they basically did a switcheroo because of the middleman aspect like Melvin Purvis never personally met Anna Sage and Anna Sage wouldn't willingly turn in John Dillinger because she liked him but if they found a guy who looked just like John Dillinger and who was probably already sick or terminal then they wouldn't feel bad about using him as a pawn, you know, or as a a body. Kind of how that whole theory is being portrayed and pushed. And when they did the death mask, too, unfortunately, back then, the deputy coroner 
was taking bribes. So he was taking bribes to let all of these people who were unauthorized into the autopsy to view the body and all this shit. So there's a couple little, you know, layers and stuff to it. Personally, I'm not sure what I believe. I'm just at the point where I I feel more like it is him. It is John Dillinger because when they're using that, that heart, section of the autopsy as like one of their main points of evidence all the people that I talked to like I talked to a few nurses and then obviously getting your expertise on it you know it makes me think like they blew that way out of proportion and I think he could have had those conditions they just hadn't this effects of it hadn't set in yet because he was only 31 and the real the only way to tell you know, to answer the question, could this have interfered with his lifestyle? Look at autopsies of baseball players and criminals and see what heart structures they had and what kind of lifestyles they lived. You know, he's he's like, there's no control. He's like one, it's an experiment with no control. He just got one person and he did one thing and people are trying to derive one answer, one of the other answers from it. My guess, I mean, I told you what I guess, I, I think he's, based on the autopsy, he was capable of playing baseball and robbing banks. Now, could he do it as well as he could if he didn't have that art problem? Probably not. But he was very good. You know, I mean, I'm I'm old and fat. I can't run very fast. But when I was younger, I couldn't run very fast. But there are people who could beat me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you're, you're probably familiar with, you know, with, I guess with this conspiracy stuff, with all the stuff about Hitler's corpse. And Hitler's, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. there's so much over that. And I've read, I've read a lot of that, studied a lot of that, and I'm sort of a Holocaust buff. And that, you know, the never-ending controversy till today. Was he found by the Russians? Was he not found by the Russians? Was he burned? Was he not burned? Did the Russians take his body? Was he not autopsy? Did not an autopsy? Was his wife there with the dog the shot? I mean, you've heard all the different stories. Was the Goebbels family there? Were they not there? So, unless you know something, I don't know. I mean, there's no, no one knows. At least they make a conspiracy out of it. You yeah. know, whether there is one, I don't know. But as far as I'm concerned, Hitler died in his bunker, and it sounds like John Dillinger met his end when it, when he met his end. And what would be the reason yeah. for someone to say it wasn't him? I mean, if, if it was, let's say he was alive, what would be the reason, pretend he was dead, if he didn't carry on robbing and doing things? Or living somewhere? Yeah. I mean, it would have been a story afterwards, at least a conspiracy story. And somebody saw him 20 years later in the Kroger's or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, because what how it's how it all started was in the early '60s. There were a few people who got letters with pictures, and one of them was like the Indy Star, and another one person was Emil Wanatka, who owned a Bohemian Lodge where that uh, where the big shootout with the FBI happened, and where it, a lot of it started was the early mid sixties, like e- Emil Wanatka and then the Indy star both received letters of a man from California claiming to be John Dillinger. And he gave all this pretty detailed information. And then they, he goes on to say the body that had the autopsy done, didn't have the, you know, bullet hole scar on his leg, which they did. You, I mean, it's plainly right there in the autopsy report, a through and through hole from a bullet in the leg. This person provided pictures of their current self 
and then just basically these long detailed letters. So they started doing like handwriting comparison, you know, and they, they couldn't do age progression back then, you know, as well as they can now. And that's basically where it started was like the early mid sixties when these people received these letters. Well, the controversy may be there, but I don't think you're going to gain much by the autopsy part of it. I agree. I agree. And they use that autopsy like it's gold. And that's kind of when I was looking through it and talked to a couple people, that's where I was at. I was like, I, I, you know, he could have had these conditions. I don't see why this is such a definitive, definitive proof, you know. If I was doing this for a medical, like if I was in medical school and they said, research this and report to us next Friday. And, you know, what you think, I would go to the medical library. I would review collective reviews of autopsies of people who died from rheumatic heart disease and also collective reviews of what kind of clinical findings they had when they were alive. And then I would see what the similarities were and if he had any of those. I mean, that's the way to find out. So, Most definitely. I really, really appreciate you coming on here and helping us dive into that and giving us your, uh, your opinion. It's very, very valuable. Well, you're welcome. Thank you enough. <laughs> I appreciate it. Not much else to do when it's zero degrees outside here. So <laughs> I know, right? It's been pretty brutal the last couple of days. Well, I'm glad I could help you out. I didn't, you know, I didn't think I had much to offer, but I think I gave the main points I could. So no, you were right on point and trust me, it is very, very much appreciated, especially on short notice. Steve, thank you so much, man. You're very welcome. All right. You have a great day, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.